You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together. We turn to the Gospel according to John, the third chapter, and we'll read the first 21 verses of John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me, my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of John chapter 3, verses 3, 5, and 7. Let's just read those again. Verse 3, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. And then, 
verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, some of the older members in our congregation may recall a time when John 3 was a source of major controversy. And what happened was that some in the broader evangelical community began asking the question, have you been born again? And in no time at all, it was on everyone's lips, and it was being asked everywhere. And it didn't matter whether you are Reformed, Presbyterian, Alliance, Baptist, or Pentecostal, the in-your-face question was, have you been born again? Books for that title were written, bumper stickers were produced and put on the bumpers of cars, billboards were full of it. It was everywhere. And now some people reacted immediately by answering this question in the affirmative, of course I have been born again. Others were not so sure or certain. Still more were confused and some were negative. And then there were those who resorted to labeling the born-againers as fanatics and the doubters as lukewarm or suspect believers. And meanwhile, the church laughed, or the world laughed, and remarked, there go those Christians again tearing each other apart when they don't get the right answer. Well, thankfully, since then, the climate has calmed down considerably. Nevertheless, the question and the controversy have not completely gone away. From time to time, you can still hear one Christian asking someone else whom they assume perhaps might be a Christian, have you maybe been born again? And you know, if you think of it, that's all right. The question is not wrong. Indeed, how could we possibly say that the question is wrong or out of place? For look who first threw it on the table. It was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself. When Nicodemus comes calling, it is he who states, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again, verse 3. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. And verse 5, you must be born again. Each of these statements naturally and automatically lead us to ask ourselves, or they should, have we been born again? And it leads us to ask others around us, have you too been born again? But still asking the question and getting an affirmative answer doesn't get rid of all the questions we may have. So let's probe a little deeper into our text and pay particular attention to the words and the setting of these words of our Lord Jesus Christ. I preached to you on the theme, Our Savior teaches Nicodemus and us about a radically new birth. 
He tells us about its need and necessity, its agent and creator, its reality and evidence. So, beloved, having heard the Lord Jesus speak about new wine, a new temple, this morning we go on to the matter of a new birth. Well, beloved, the three verses of our text all have to do in one way or another with a conversation that took place between our Lord Jesus Christ and a certain Pharisee named Nicodemus. We don't know a lot about this man. The little that we do know indicates that he was a man of some learning as well as of some power. After all, he is a Pharisee, it says, and thus a member of a very educated and knowledgeable group. And he's also a member of the ruling Jewish council. Well, now this man comes to Jesus. And you might say that's a bit of a contrast. What's a member of the ruling political elite doing going to a backward Galilean rabbi? And some say that also explains why it says in our text that he comes at night. He doesn't want word of his strange meeting to spread, so he chooses the cover or the cloak of darkness. And that may all be true. However, it may also be true that he comes at night because it's less busy for the Savior. And it also tends to be cooler. In short, it's a better time to discuss and to debate together. And from his opening remarks, it's also clear that Nicodemus is curious and he has come to discuss theology. He begins, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Does he really mean this? Does he really consider Jesus to be a bona fide teacher? Does he really think that Jesus comes from God? Does he really believe that God is with him? I suspect that a lot of this is simply nothing more than very polite window dressing. He is buttering up the Lord Jesus in the hope of milking him for information and for satisfying his curiosity. At least that's how it comes across. So does our Lord bite? Does he rise to the occasion, and does he have a nice, long, lazy, laid-back, dogmatic talk with Nicodemus? No. Not at all, for look. No sooner does Nicodemus open his mouth and Jesus confronts him. He changes the topic. And he prefaces his remarks with a a particular expression. He says, truly, truly, or I tell you the truth, or better yet, I'm going to tell you a solemn truth. And what is it? Is this. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
Another possibility or another way of translating it is unless he is born from above. In other words, here the Lord Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, let's move away from your fascination with me, with my miracles, with my message. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Nicodemus, how is it with you? How is it with you in relation to the kingdom of God? Have you been born again? From his reaction, it appears that Nicodemus doesn't have a clue as to what Jesus is talking about. He takes it that Jesus is speaking physically or biologically. How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. If you think that a 60-year-old woman having twins is unreal... What about a full-grown man trying to crawl back into his mother's womb? Outwardly, it's all absurd. So are the words of the Lord Jesus also absurd? Well, surely they would be if he was speaking physically or materially. But he is not. He's speaking about spiritual things. He's speaking about rebirth, about being spiritually reborn, about what the theologians call regeneration. He's saying that unless a man is reborn, he cannot see. He cannot even see the kingdom of God. In other words, without spiritual rebirth, a man is blind to the truth and to the reality of the kingdom of God. But Nicodemus doesn't understand this. Or perhaps better yet, he doesn't want to understand this. For you see, he's a Pharisee, he's a powerful man in Israel, and hence he he sees no need to be born again. He's already arrived, he has it made, he is it, and he is in. Is he not a Jew? Has he not been circumcised? Does he not obey the law of Moses? Is he not a member of the ruling religious elite? Why does he need to be born again or born from above? All this talk about the need for rebirth is nonsense. It's for sinners and publicans and Pharisees. But it's not for nice and respectable people like me. Yes, and that's also, beloved, what some among us assumed years ago when the question was asked, have you been born again? There were Reformed believers who labeled it a silly question, a needless question, an embarrassing question. And they replied, shades of Nicodemus, we've been baptized. We're members of the church. We're in covenant with God. We don't need to be born again. 
But is that true? Is what Nicodemus appears to think and is what some Reformed believers thought and expressed in those years back, is that correct? This may be what some of you assume as well. On or off the mark. Well, beloved, it's not correct. Notice, I would even say to you, notice the progression in the words of the Lord Jesus. First, he says that to see the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. And then he says in verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And then third, he says in verse 7, you must. You see how he ratchets up the emphasis and the pressure? And he's saying, this isn't something optional, folks. This is mandatory. This is required. This is absolutely necessary. The Lord Jesus is warning Nicodemus and all of us about the need and the necessity of spiritual regeneration. Without it, we shall not see, much less enter, the kingdom of God. The bottom line is, beloved, we all need to be born again. Yes, and in saying that, I'm not saying anything new, nor am I saying anything unreformed. It's a very old biblical teaching and also a very old reformed teaching. I remind you of question 8 of the Heidelberg Catechism, but are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? And the answer, yes, indeed. The indeed is no longer there because the emphasis has been lost in the new translation. But that's what it says. Yes, indeed, unless we are regenerated. Born again, born from above. Or turn to the form for the baptism of infants, the book of praise, page 584. What does it say? First, we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. Children of sin and wrath cannot enter in God's righteous and holy kingdom. Rebellious, sin-stained people do not belong there. They're unfit for the kingdom. To enter it, they need to be made fit. They need, and, and we need, rebirth. And don't forget this, beloved. And do not think yourself above this need either. For this is something basic and fundamental to the gospel. And absolutely vital for our salvation. 
We must all be born again if we are to enter and to see and to experience the kingdom of God. But of course, that in turn, that assertion raises a number of questions, doesn't it? How will this happen? Who will make this happen? And, and when will this happen? And notice the Lord Jesus does answer these questions. When Nicodemus throws up biological objections, he says in verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. And then he adds by way of further commentary, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And once he's finished, Nicodemus replies, how can this be? How is this possible? But then notice, Jesus abrades him. Are you a teacher in Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Notice Jesus is surprised. How is it that Nicodemus doesn't get this? Isn't this a central Old Testament doctrine? Is this not a rather obvious biblical teaching? And indeed it is that. Our Lord Jesus speaks, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Now, it's interesting when you turn to the commentaries and you look up what this particular expression means, it seems as if most of the scholars get heartburn. And especially they don't know what to make of the expression born of water. Some say it refers to cleansing of one kind or another. Others say it has to do with natural birth and they see water as a reference, would you believe, to male semen? And still others see it as a possible reference to the water of baptism. Yes, and once they have outlined all of these different possibilities, then they still do not know what to choose. Like Nicodemus, many are at a loss. But you know, I ask you this morning, is it really so hard? Are Jesus' words really so difficult to understand? Is he speaking in riddles here? Hardly. All that he is doing is reiterating a well-known Old Testament teaching that you find, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 36. Look at Ezekiel 36. Look at verse 24 and following. For I will take you out of the nations, God says. I will gather you from all the countries, bring you back into your own land. And then it comes. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave to your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. You know, this is a passage that many in Israel knew by heart. 
And notice it's also a passage that speaks about water and the Spirit. And what is it saying about water and the Spirit? It's saying that a defiled, rebellious, sinful people like Israel need to be cleansed and purified. And to drive the point home, the Lord speaks about water. He even speaks about clean water. As water cleans our bodies, so God promises to clean up his people. But he also does more. He promises to clean them up and he promises to renew them, to change them, to overhaul them totally, to renovate them completely. And to make that clear, he says, I'm going to give you a new heart, as well as a new spirit. God speaks about a heart transplant here. He'll take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And that means he'll remove their hard, unbelieving hearts and replace them with soft hearts, hearts that hear and believe and obey. And how will he do this? He will do it by means of the water of cleansing and the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit in you. You see, God says that the prime agent of change and the real creator of this change is none other than the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will do it. The Spirit is the great renovator of God's people. Jesus says the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit of truth lives with you and will be in you. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you. And you know, the Apostle Paul is right behind when he says, you are led by the Spirit. You will receive the Spirit of sonship. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We have received the Spirit who is from God. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. All of those passages and more make clear that it is the Holy Spirit whom God uses to bring about the rebirth, regeneration of His people. And Nicodemus could have known this. Indeed, he should have known this. Why is he so ignorant on this point? Is it perhaps because he's caught up in the typical Pharisaic arrogance of his day? The spirit of we have arrived. We don't owe God, but God owes us. Be that as it may, beloved. He should have been aware 
of his teaching. And we who have both the Old as well as the New Testament should be even more aware of it. The Spirit recreates us. The Spirit renews us. The Spirit regenerates us. The Spirit rebirths us. He and He alone changes us from children of wrath into children of blessing. But then, beloved, if rebirth is necessary and a Spirit-inspired work, how is this work actually done in us? Can a person monitor the work of the Spirit? Can you look, as it were, over the Spirit's shoulder and see how exactly he does this? No. But the fact of the matter is that the work of the Holy Spirit in us constitutes both a mystery, you can say, and a miracle. Jesus stresses the mystery part when he says to Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Some of us here have lived in southern Alberta. And we know something about wind. We know what it sounds like. We know what it can do, but you can't really see it, nor can you predict precisely where it'll go. I've seen it carve its way down a street, removing the snow on the one side and leaving the snow on the other. In a way, the way of the wind is a mystery. And Jesus says it's the same with the way of the Spirit. And he says not only is it a mystery, but in a way it's also a miracle. It's a miracle of God's power, God's love, God's mercy. You know, interestingly enough, the canons of Dord say that there are really three great miracles in the world. The first miracle is the miracle of creation. The second great miracle is the miracle of the raising from the dead. And the third great miracle, it says, is the work, the Spirit's work, of regeneration, or rebirth. And about the latter it says, it is however clearly a supernatural, most powerful, and at the same time most delightful, marvelous, mysterious, and inexpressible work. Amen to that. Still, all of this does leave a few questions as yet. The first is, how do we get reborn? And how can we make it happen? The answer to how do we get reborn is, we can. But Christ can. 
In connection with this rebirth, what does, what does Jesus tell Nicodemus? And by extension, what does he tell us to do? Over and over again, notice, and that's especially clear in the second part of this chapter, he tells Nicodemus about believing in him. He says, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. He says, God so loved the world that whoever, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He's ever, he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. He says, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. And sure, beloved, the call of the gospel is rather simple and straightforward. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Take the gospel, read it, listen to it, hear its call, and the Spirit will do the rest. He will cause you to heed it. He will remake you. He will renew you. He will make you fit for the kingdom of God. But then, beloved, if hearing and heeding the gospel takes care of the how, what about the proof? How do we know whether or not we've been reborn? How can we know whether or not someone else has been reborn? Again, the answer is in John 3. You know, it's in that one word in John 3. It's in the word light. Those who have been born again, Jesus says, walk in the light. And they live in the light. They avoid the darkness. Or to put it in different terminology, they avoid and they resist the works of the flesh. And they embrace and they exhibit The fruits of the Spirit. In other words, is your life full of sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sins? Is that what your life is like? Then the gospel says very clearly, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That testifies to the fact you've not been reborn or regenerated. But on the other hand, if your life is filled with love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
And the gospel says you will see and you will enter and you will enjoy and inherit the kingdom of God. For all of this is evidence of spiritual rebirth, of having a new heart and of being in possession of a new birth and a new life. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.